across on Monday morning just about one o'clock. Set to great Titanic began reeling rock. Then the people began to cry, saying, Lord, I'm going to die. It was sad when that great ship went down. It was sad when... Hey folks, it's Ron with On Fire Concerts, and we are here today with a member who I believe to be a member of the first family of country music, Miss Ronnie Stoneman. Well, thank you, you're right, but it, it isn't Miss, I get married every now and then. Well, I mean, okay, every now and then, but that's okay. Yes, it is. And I'm gonna tell Barbara, be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> that's my daughter, okay? Well, let's start with uh, talking about the Stoneman family. We're, this unique interview today, because normally I deal with an artist, we talk about the artist, and, just the artist, and but but in your case, it's a it, it's a family, and and the history that the Stoneman family has Boy. is just amazing to me. Uh, we'll start back well with your dad was Ernest Stoneman that most people know as Pop Stoneman. Yeah, well you had to be Pop with so many children. And you had about say you had twenty three kids. Your that mom was, and dad had twenty three kids. Yeah, but there was five sets of twins, so that hurried it up. But mom and dad liked each other a lot. <laughs> they held hands and everything. They, uh, it was the everything that got them in problem. And I mean, 23 <laughs> kids, so if you had 23 siblings. Well, I didn't have 23 siblings all, but mama had lost quite a few in, when she was in the mountains of Virginia when her and daddy, you know, the mountains, they didn't have things like penicillin and stuff right. to stop the bronchitis or bronchopneumonia or pneumonia. So she lost a lot, you know, many children, but there was 15 of us lived to be of age and in one room. Yeah, I say, and just <laughs> but growing up with just you and 15, 14 others, yeah. that has to be um, very interesting because I, I was telling you earlier, mm -hmm. I have three brothers and a sister and I mean, that's hard enough, much less 15. Well, I had some of the, all my family played music, you know, daddy would make the instruments because everybody would ask daddy. We played a lot at the colleges or universities in California when, in Berkeley when the natives were not resting, you know, <laughs> it was the long beard, all of this and the long hair. But anyway, the universities, but yeah, we, we had to play, we did when we were little, to, uh, to Pop Stoneman and his little pebbles, we were called. And the little ones with Daddy, there was four or five bands going at one time in Maryland and D.C. We played, my older brothers played music, I guess, my older ones, to get drunk by. <laughs> you know, because that's all you had to play that's for. That's all you had to play for. Yeah, yeah they, were, they were not alcoholics, they were all drunkards. <laughs> you know, out there in the audience, they didn't go to the meetings. <laughs> yeah, I think that was funny. But anyway, yeah, but it was really unusual because it was one room and um, Daddy would make our instruments, and this is true, and he'd tune them up and put them on a bed, honest, and he'd say, now leave that alone, I'm not finished with it yet. And he said, it better be not out of tune when I come back home from work. Y'all better not touch that. Of course, we run into it. As soon as he pulled out of the driveway. Well, when you say don't do something to a child. I know, that's why Daddy did, I guess. You got, he knew what to get you to practice. Yeah. I know, we had to have it in tune because to this day I can't use a tuner on my banjo or guitar because it's a waste of time sometimes. But a lot of people depend on that little thing that clamps. Right. Call it. I think it's called a shark or something. And, but we never had one. 
I remember playing with the Glazer brothers at a fair, and they had this thing, a little thing, and he was back there tuning. And I said, Van, and this is true, I said, Van, to my brother, I said, come and look at this thing. And it, every time they hit a string, the needle would go like that. I said, it's really different. And Van said, oh, yeah. So I said, hit it, Tom Paul. I said, Tom <laughs> yeah. Paul, hit, hit that one string. And look, Van, it goes right in the middle when it's in tune. That's neat, and that's different, see? So we never had any tuning. Nobody taught you No, we didn't have it, honey. We were lucky we had an outhouse in the back. That's another story. That's another story that we, we may have to get to. <laughs> no, I don't know if the people out there want to hear that mess. Uh, well, I know in 19, I think it was, if I read, uh, where in 1924, your dad had her pops home and had yeah. heard a gentleman named, I believe, Henry Wider. Whitaker. Whitaker. Played, sang something on the radio yeah. in 24. It wasn't a radio. They didn't have a radio. Well, he heard the record. Or, he, heard a, he heard a recording in an old store. Okay. And he said he and, could do in that. In Galatsk. Henry Whitaker. He was a friend of Daddy's, I believe, that worked with him at the mill in Galax when he was very young. Oh, okay. The, the old nuts, you know, the mill. There. I didn't know if they knew each other, but your dad said he could do that as good as... No, he said, Hattie, that don't sound good. <laughs> that feller just don't sound good. He sings it from his nose. <laughs> and I, he said, I can do better. Mama, she had 10 children then. And she said, well, Ernest, go on over to New York. I'll take... I'll keep with the children. You go on to New York and you try out and see if how good you are. It said, a man without a dream is not a man. Well, that makes sense. So she said, you just go on and t go on up there. And he did. And he came back with a contract from Edison Cylinders. Edison, that was Thomas Edison. But he recorded, he said, and Daddy wasn't a liar because he said he had a lot of youngins. But not one of them was good enough to be a good liar. They weren't <laughs> smart enough. You've got to remember what you're saying. So anyway, he went up to New York and he got a contract with Edison. But before that, there was a wire. They used a wire or something. It was 19, 1914. Hmm. And he made a wire recording. And he was in New York and he said, I put a dime. You know, at, at, right. in New York, they had these booth-like phone booths. Right. But it was where you could hear the singer. And it was him. He said, I heard my own record. And there he was, a young man, right from the mountains. His father was a preacher, an old mountain preacher. And he, his mother died when he was eight years old. But can you imagine putting a dime in and hearing your own voice? And, and it your wasn't own, yours. And, I mean, you didn't have it with you. That, was, was, that would have to be... And uh, that would have to be a feeling that you can only imagine what you felt. I know. I, I talked to him a lot about it. No. You and I have spoke. I know your dad went in 24, uh, Bob did, and he came back, but then he went back in 25, I believe it was, and yeah. he did another recording, which, he did. by the way, became the first million seller. I wish it was the sinking of the Titanic. He wrote it in 1914, and this is what Daddy said, and Daddy wasn't a liar because there wasn't no sense in it, he said. But in 1914, he wrote the song called The Sinking of the Titanic. Some of you folks might, might know it. Now, when we played UCLA, the kids, the college kids, we had our own workshop there. And so, uh, and they was asking us all kinds of questions and, you know, it was really unusual. But anyway, you have, you have that, all that history, 
And then they ask you questions that you don't know anything about. How come the frets are that far from the banjo and how come what, and what kind of strings you use. This is a college kid. And then, but they would sing the sinking of the Titanic like this. It was sad, oh, it was sad when that great ship went bob <laughs> to the bottom of the sea. You know, and I would. Said, what are they saying? I said, Daddy, they're saying it wrong. Daddy said, I know it. I don't know what's wrong with them youngins. That's what Daddy said at UCLA. And so he, they, he didn't know what was wrong with No, he didn't. But this is the way he did. It was sad when that great ship went down. It was sad when that great ship went down. Husbands and wives, little children lost their lives. It was sad when that great ship went down. Now, and that, folks, was the first million yep. seller in country, country music. music. It sure was. And you have something that I want you to show us. Well, excuse me. <laughs> well, okay. No, I didn't ask her about her CDs. No, no, people, I go play, they're so darling, I love them so much. The audience, Daddy said, daggone it, that's what you're here for, is entertain those folks, not to entertain yourself. And we'd end up entertaining ourselves along with the audience. Well, you have to do that because it ain't no fun if you don't. <laughs> Daddy, yeah. you have to have fun end up going from one place to the next. You don't even, well, all right, we're playing the Louisiana Hayride a long time ago. And Van said, it's so good to be here in Houston, Texas. <laughs> I said, Van, we're not in Houston, <laughs> Louisiana. So that's a sample. He said, that's just a sample, but that you have to have fun, and it makes, it, it, life is fun. Yeah, but you see, he didn't remember where we were at. Yeah, but you, we but y'all played so everywhere, I mean. Oh, I know, every college in the United you, States. And y'all played, didn't the, Stone, the Stonemans, if I'm not wrong, you played the White House and Smithsonian? We played the Smithsonian, and they got, when I started learning to play the banjo, Daddy made me a banjo with the neck that long, with a, and he put a, you know, made it, carved the neck out. And I would go, this is what our, the people in the town, we lived in Carmody Hills. Roy Clark said, <laughs> here's Ronnie Stolman from Carmody Hills. <laughs> and that was about the size of it. But I said, Roy, don't say that. And, <laughs> you know, not Carmody, it's Carmody, you know. But uh, he would call me Ronald J, but that's another story, cause I remember Roy, you know, but anyway, getting back to what you asked me about, I've got so many stories I get kind of freaked out. Well, there's just a history there's just amazing, yeah. an amazing history, but let's show the folks the cylinders. Okay, I got the cylinder, I brought it for Ron to see, because I didn't know if he knew anything about cylinders. A little before my time, but I mean, well, I've yeah. heard about them. Get on your paper, I know that. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I, I'll get the cylinders here over yonder. I did, I carry them in a little case because they're very special to me because it's my claim to fame, what we did. Ronnie Stoneman and the dids. We did this and we did that. You know, so many dids. Donna said, Ronnie, I don't want to do another interview anywhere because I've interviewed out. Well, that, that's, a, and, and you know, now, I can only imagine. These are cylinders. This right here, and I'll play the cylinder, and this is called the sinking of the Titanic. Right here is the sinking. Whenever you get a chance, you can. I will zoom in. I'm gonna take photos of these folks, and, and like we will put it on there. Also, the show. Don't touch that side but, if you can help it. But these are what the cylinders came in. Can you imagine buying that? And it says, 
You can take it and show them if you don't mind. Yeah, uh, well, and I'll zoom in on it, but it's the sinking of the Titanic. And it says E.B. Stoneman right here, right there. And we are going the to be... The first million seller. The first million seller. And not country. very... This thing is just... It's just history, folks. All these are. and But this is the first million seller. Yeah, and, and when I play it, I, I promise, I've played it for other folks, and they would have tears in their eyes. But that and is just I, so, amazing that you still have those. Yes. I, honey, I did the wrong thing. <laughs> I did. I took it to hmm. Bristol. Uh, a long time ago, it wasn't, you know, at the museum. They got a beautiful museum up there. Any of y'all ever get a chance to go in that part of the country, you go up to Bristol, Virginia, and you'll see where the first recordings of the Carter family in 27, and the Stoneman Court, Daddy had been recording about six years prior to that. And, but anyway, y'all get a chance to go up there because that is a fine, that's the true gang. The true country music museum, the truest one. There is no girls with dresses <laughs> like wide belts. Uh. Oh, whatever. But you know, and I guess it's because we didn't have the arthritis in the well, first that's place. Well, that's the way you know. <laughs> yes, but, but these are all cylinders. And that's folks are just, just. I mean, some of them. I can't believe this. A drummer that played with the four guys. His, the mother of the drummer came and brought me this. I liked it passed out. I was so happy, I couldn't believe it. And it's got the original cover on this little thing. Well, I mean, you know, you think about it though, Ronnie. How, yeah. how many people would know what these were if you that's run across why, one? Well, honey, I, I, that's what I like to, to show them a little. I am sorry to act like I'm bragging on the family or daddy, but by golly, he was an old mountain boy. Never been out of them hills in his whole life. His mother died of childbed fever when he was when his brother was born, and um, he he was just he read everything he could. He was a very smart man, Pop Stoneman, my dad, and mommy was very smart, but she was mountain trained. You know, she was beautiful, a girl that in the twenties they made lots of money, and the depression hit. Daddy had signed a lot of bank notes for his friends up there in Galax. They, he would come in from being on the road with mommy up in New York. They had a couple of ladies staying at the house taking care of the children. And um, so anyway, we had, he'd come in and they would come to the house and they'd say, Ernest, I wanna meet you tomorrow and show you some land that I could buy, you know, have more right. tobacco on or cotton or whatever. And Daddy would say, okay. He said, well, they told me at the bank that they wouldn't let me have the land unless you signed. Well, Daddy's friends, and he said, oh, yeah, I'll sign for you. And I know how it is to want property and get that land over yonder. So next thing you know, the Depression hit in 29. By 1933, Daddy had zero, and he had 10 children. And he had come to Washington, D.C., like a lot of people from the mountains of Virginia and from parts of North Carolina, they went to, uh, you know, to Detroit. Right. But a lot of them came into Washington, D.C. and brought their talents and their instruments with them and mm -hmm. played their home songs that they right. did for each other. They'd play for frolics, you know, go to each other's cabin. Well, That's a true story. Well, you know, your dad went back to Washington, but then... I don't remember if it was uh was, if it was Victor or who, but they sent him back 
and wanted him to go eventually to Atlanta. Oh yes, Mr. Peer called Dad. I'm not called him. I, I you know wrote him or something. And Daddy talked to him. I guess he had a phone then. I don't know. I guess in the twenties, late twenties. But he said, "Yep." He said, "Ernest, I'm going into Atlanta, looking for some talent." This is true, gag, so help me, or I wouldn't say it, because ain't no sense, like Daddy said, ain't no sense in lying. But Daddy said uh, he, uh, he got this call, you know, for him to bring, Daddy said, Mr. Peer? He said, Mr. Peer, no, you come to Bristol, there's abundance. That's what Daddy used, abundance of talent in these hills. You need to come to Bristol. And he, and he said, well, bring them up here. He said, no, these are mountain people. They ain't going to leave their home and come up there. He said, you come to Bristol. And the, Mr. Peer went to Bristol. First he said, Ernest, how are you going to get them to Bristol? And he said, leave that to me. He said, just leave it to me because I will, I will get them there. And Daddy ended up building the stage on 12th Street there in Bristol against the furniture store on the Virginia side. Because in Bristol, there's a Virginia and there's Tennessee. Tennessee, right. So you had to go on this side, the left side. The right side was Tennessee. So Daddy said, um, I'll get them there. So he went down at the, uh, you know, the newspaper. Right. And he took all his canceled checks from Pierre or Victor. Right. It used to be Victor then. And all his cancel checks and showed the people had a picture of this cancel checks of the money he could make and those people in those hills could make. So they did that and they, that's where they met the Carter family. The Carter family, Sarah and A.P. Carter and, uh, and Mother Maybell, they came down and played. Daddy did 26 and with Mommy, 26 tunes in Bristol that day. 26 recordings for Bristol. Daddy got him to come, and Daddy, he, he went to all his, you know, trying to get his friends and people that he knew that played music. He was trying to help everybody. I mean, it's remarkable that your dad is basically the, the well, they, they did start the Carter family. And, uh, yeah, I hate started, to say and that. And Jimmy Rogers. Yeah, Jimmy Rogers was there, and Daddy introduced him to Mr. Peer. Daddy put it in a Daddy put it in a newspaper that says, Mr. Peer is coming to Bristol to look for talent. He said, so come on down and, and this is the money that I made. That's what Daddy had put in the paper. So that they were reading. Now this is what was in a book that Johnny Cash and June at Mother Maybell, they were being interviewed. And it's country music, it was a country music magazine. And uh, she said, yep, this is Mother Maybell. We were having our last piece of country ham. It was a, on a Saturday, and we were having our last piece of country ham. And he said, A.P. Carter got up from the table and sat there by the fire in a rocking chair. And he said, uh, he was reading the paper, what Daddy had put in there, you know, went and showed everybody, trying to get him to come to Bristol, the mountain people. Uh, down in southwest Virginia. So he said, he took the paper, the newspaper. Now, this is what Mother Maybell said. Had the paper there, and he said, uh, We're going to go over to Bristol. He's telling Sarah Carter, 
He said, this man, this feller, you know, Ernest <laughs> Stoneman, he uh, got the talent scout to come from New York. And we, we want to go over there. And Sarah said, this is what Mother Maybell said, gang. Said, oh, we'll never make the money that that man did. <laughs> Duh, you know. But if Daddy had been smart, he wouldn't have introduced him. <laughs> you know, I'd have went on to Georgia. Well, your dad was, you know, what I sometimes found about your dad that yeah. I that was I thought very interesting because the way life works sometimes though. After you know, and like I think it was um, your dad actually wanted a uh, game show. On oh NBC yeah, that was yeah. It was called the Big Surprise. And, and I mean, and he won back then for what, $10,000 No, it was 20000 20, 20, 20 And that was a lot of money. I mean, it's a lot of money nowadays. And you then. know what he did with it? He bought Mama the ring that he had for her before the Depression. She had to sell it in the Depression because times got tired. I said, and if the jobs were few all through to come see Valley, times got rough. So Mama had to sell her ring that Daddy had bought her when he married her. And when he made the money, he bought her this beautiful ring. It was a square, a blue stone. Well, and it, she, yeah, he, but he bought her another one to replace it when he won the contest, to, you know, answering geography questions. That was just, I mean, yeah, you know, that's true. That, that you, you have something, you lose it all, and then you gradually come Get back. Get it back, but you never come back with a lot of youngins. Right. I, and, but yeah. the youngins, the same year your dad won that. If I'm not wrong, the same year. We were playing in D.C. in the Skull Orchards. You know what a Skull Orchard is? <laughs> Let me tell you, gang, I'm, I'm not joshing. That was the honky-tonks, the severe honky-tonks. And that was the only place you could hear country music because nobody trusted it. But the people from Southwest Virginia, North Carolina, came into D.C. The people from Kentucky, and they went to Detroit looking for work there. But uh, the people from Southwest Virginia and some Maryland, they would all bring in music right into D.C. And Ron, that's where good music was heard. That's where Roy Clark's people are from. The best music there was was in Washington, D.C. I got all this information at the house. Yeah, I mean, how, you wouldn't even dream that nowadays, you know. Uh, I know, honey, but we had to pay our dues in order. And Scott, my brother, the fiddle player, you can find that on YouTube, you know, that we hung fiddling. He was the uh, world's greatest, and to this day, he died in 72, and it was because of drinking. He had, you know, a drinking problem, and he... He, he died like Keith Whitney did, you know? Yeah. And that was sad. We really miss Scott because Scott encouraged each one of us to play. And he, when I was playing the banjo, like I was telling you, Daddy made my banjo and it was the neck was this long, then the next one was that long, and then it got to be a, you know, I had to sell the banjo. last banjo he made for me, I had to, you know, trade it in for the banjo, the Gibson Master Tone, with, in those days, if you had a Gibson Master Tone, you could play. They would say, you're only as good as your instrument. But when I was little, 
This is what for the neighborhood people would see me. I was barefooted, had an old raggy dress on. I tore the hem out of pitching horseshoes. And they would say, and I'd go, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, with the banjo, the neck. I told daddy I was more interested in the right hand, getting the picking good done. And I'd go, one, two, three, one, two, three. And I, after a while, I could do it without, you know, breaking the speed. And I told daddy, and the people in, in the neighborhood, the boys, here comes that retarded, not needed, <laughs> dumb hillbilly with that one, two, three, one, two, three. They would laugh at me, but I kept at it. But and it's then, amazing. I mean, the, the, the kids, of your, after your, your dad wanted that, like I said, the game show thing, and later on, the, the, some of the kids yes. wanted the Guthrie. Oh yeah, they, that was the gal, they had the bluegrass champs and the reason they were called, there was different groups. We had four to five <laughs> bands in my family. Like I said, the older brothers played music to drink by, but they, you know, they'd send them up a drink if they picked for them, you know how it is. Well, I guess you should know. Well, I would know, yeah. Oh yeah, heel. <laughs> don't lie. <laughs> but anyway, and I know you're a good Christian man. <laughs> Look. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but you are, and you can tell you're an honest guy. But, but anyway, we would we would go to play and with the instruments and play those places. And you get and Daddy said, watch. And Scott would say, now watch that audience, Ronnie, because if they get to twisting around and squirming in their seat, you better get off the stage. Leave them wanting, not overdo yourself. Right. And Daddy said, now remember, you're not playing for yourself. You're entertaining the people out there in the audience. That's the way Daddy raised us. It was the audience that was the most important, not us. Right, and, and, then, and <laughs> that's, that's a difference in just singing and being entertainers. Yeah, you know, you have to, you find something in your soul to entertain them with. Right. Now you mentioned Jerry Lee Lewis. Is that an entertainer or not? Wow. He's still he's, an entertainer. What I'm saying, he's still entertaining you and he's in the almost the wheelchair. <laughs> I mean, he is absolutely marvelous. But his, you know, his action for himself, it's amazing he lived this long. I mean, living still and doing good. You know, I told him the other day yes. when, when I was fortunate enough to see Jerry again at his home, and I said, you know, of all the country music greats, and you got the million dollar quartet thing. Okay. The last man standing is Jerry Lee. Of course, yes. And, and I said that's just so remarkable. And to well, be that's a few. and 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 yeah. in that group and uh you know, but then uh, we were about to when y'all won the got out the got Oh yeah, those are the days. You know how we did that? We were playing at a honky-tonk in D.C., 12th and New York Avenue, right next to the bus station downtown Washington. Anytime you're in a city like Washington or a big city and you're by the bus station, it's not one of those little darling places you could take your mother to. You know, you don't want that, you know, because the boys would bet on how many fights they're going to have that night. But, but I remember we played there for a long time, and then we get a call that we could do the Arthur Godfrey show. The man that owned this place, his name was Sam Bumstein, and he was marvelous. He gave the Stoneman's work, and his brother owned, uh, his brother Joe, I think it's Joe, he was across the street, and Charlie, Charlie Daniels played a place across the street from us called the, the Rocket Room. 
and Charlie would take his, this is true, Charlie Daniels would take his break so he could, at a time that we were on stage, he would time it so he could come over and watch our show yeah, and watch Doc fiddle. And then, <laughs> those were the days. Dear me, it's, God was with us the whole time. <laughs> Mama prayed and she'd pray for my brothers every night and all of us. She'd be down on her knees and when she died, before she died, I said, Mommy, you've got calluses on your knees. You prayed so hard, you're like a nun. And Mommy said, well, Lord of mercy, honey. I said, you got calluses from praying for us so much. You know, we'd be out picking. And that's just amazing. But then from that, I believe, is that is then after that, y'all ended up with the uh, the TV show called These Those Stonemans. You know how we got that? That was another story. Those Stonemans, that was a neat name. The singing, swinging, stomping, <laughs> sensational Stonemans. Yeah, we got that name from out in L.A., UCLA, when we played the university there two or three times. The college kids at UCLA loved Daddy. He, they loved Daddy. We played at all the coffee houses there. And he loved, it, it, they loved my dad. And Daddy would tell him it was during the Vietnam War, even though people say it wasn't, it was a war. It was awful. But anyway, the boys, the college kids, they didn't understand that. And Daddy said, let me tell you something. He would point at the crowd. He said, every one of you, I talked to some of you young folks, and you just don't understand. And he would fuss, and they'd say, yes, Pop. They'd, they would follow him, just like the Pied Piper, those students at UCLA. We did a whole lot of stuff, honey, since. You know, I got so many memories. And I remember so much. Every now and then I'd struck, as Grandpa Jones said, I struck a snag. <laughs> but he'd say, I struck a snag. And I met him, all right. We won the contest at Constitution Hall with Connie Begay, a man by Connie Begay. He was a disc jockey there in D.C. And so he decided to take it to the, to the uh, you know, that place I told you, I told you. Smithsonian? No, it wasn't the Smithsonian. We did that much later. Um, let me see. Constitution Hall. Okay. At, uh, you know, in Washington. So that's when Daddy came in and sat at the end of the table and told Mama there was a show going on, I mean, a, a contest going on. And the person who won it, it was a man by the name of Connie B. Gay was putting it on, and the person who wanted would get on television about 50 weeks or so. And so Daddy told Mama he was wanting to go down there and get in that, and she said, well, Ernest, go across the street. She was popping beans in the pan because we didn't have running water. We had a tent for a roof because that depression knocked Daddy out down, you know. Because when during the depression you didn't buy records or no, anything, no. you bought. You were lucky enough to get a potato or some bread, and so we. Had, Daddy had a lot of children, and he, Mama was a praying mother, and Daddy was a good Christian man. He lived a Christian life. He just wanted everybody to be good, you know. But he went across the creek to my brothers, my older brothers, to get them to play with him. And he came back, and I remember so well. He sat at the head of the table, and I walked over by him. I'd follow Daddy around a lot. And he said, Hattie, they, she said, Ernest, what's the matter? And she, he said, well, Hattie, they won't go with me. And she says, and why not? You know, Mama had a spirit. 
I thought she was going to take a hickory stick over there <laughs> and straighten them out. But Daddy said, because they said I'm old-fashioned now and I don't have electric instruments, and they are got their buddies and they're going to go down and take the prize at Constitution Hall. That's what it was. Constitution Hall. So uh, Mama said they did, did they? said, well, Ernest, how long do we have? And she, he said, three months. And she said, well, get to making the young and some more instruments. We're going to go down and take the prize. And we went down, and this is, they opened the door. We had that old covered wagon of a thing. Daddy had, he bent the bars and he put the canvas over it and he had his tool chest on each side, like a pickup truck. He made, a, uh, it was a rumble seat, but he <laughs> made it into a pickup. And he had that bars like a covered wagon going across the west. <laughs> and all of us kids in there with our homemade instruments, gang. <laughs> and they opened the doors and they said, and here they are, the Stoneman family. Mama had made me and Donna some little feet sack dresses. Do you? I, you don't remember, but they were colorful. They had little, you know, the burlap. In them. So Not burlap, honey. Burlap's a whole new ball game. The feet store. Feet sacks. Oh. Yeah, they used to, during the Depression years, they found out that the, that the, um, you know, that those material people were making shirts and blouses out of them and little dresses for their children. And Mama made us one to go play on the contest. Daddy told me to sing because I didn't have a banjo, any kind of instrument. I just sang. And I was four and a half years old. But my brothers went on first. There was about a hundred and some bands at night. Okay? I ain't just joshing. And I remember they opened the doors and there was marble floors. And I went, hot dog, you know, I can stop on this. Because in the house we just had that one room and you could just run around in circles. You couldn't run and slide, you know. And my brother Billy was in the Pacific during the war and he sent Mama some money home to buy me and Donna a pair of little patent leather slippers. So she got them and they made us that dress. And when I opened that door, and I was always hyper, you know, I got, they say, AD, some kind of, probably they all got a big name for it, AD, and I said, well, no, I told Sam Lavella, the producer of Hee Haw, I said, I got the whole alphabet. I'm all of them. I'm all of them. People have to take drugs to be like I am. I'm 83 now, so you can just imagine how I was when I was little. Praise the Lord. But I went sliding. I caught them no shoes and the bottoms were slick. And I went diggity, 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 <laughs> diggity, slide, you know, this is cool. And I looked over to my left and there was a man in there. An old, he, you know, he was gluing his mustache and his eyebrows on. And you know, the old days they had Maybelline where you could just take a little drawer, but it was instead of black where you could do your eyelashes, yeah. it was white. And I said, I wonder what he's up to. And I had a crooked eye. Do you remember my eye was crooked? It went that way. <laughs> it went, it was called wall-eyed. This one here was injured at birth and, and the muscles messed up. But, you know, uh, it went this way. So I got up, I got to looking at it and just me and him in this dressing room door was open and everything. <laughs> and I had mirrors and these big round lights all over. And I said, I wonder what he's doing. He was in the mirror doing this to his mustache and his eyebrows. And he glued on some, making his beard, his whiskers, you know, came down like this then. And I 
pushed a chair up there and got up on the dressing table and crawled over there and looked at him right in the face, trying to say, what in the cat hair? I thought to myself, is he doing? And I looked in it and he was putting that on and I said, why is he gluing this mustache and eyebrows on? And then Mama said, Lord, have mercy in the name of Jesus. Where are my children? And she said, I gotta find Ronnie. And she went hunting down there and she turned onto her left and she said, get out of that room and quit bothering that poor old man. And Grandpa Jones said, that's all right, Miss Stoneman, I'll take care of her. <laughs> he said, just get your fiddle. <laughs> And he took me down to the little concession stand and I went walking with him and I was looking at his boots, the one he used on hee yeah. And I said, he's like us. He don't, his shoes don't fit him either. Because <laughs> <laughs> the school would send us down a box of shoes for us to pick out what fit us. And sometimes we had to get them big old ones and tie them to our, to our feet. We had fun though, we had our music and we had mama's prayers and daddy's hard work. It's just amazing the story of the Stoneman family, folks. If you've never, if you've, we've just, we haven't even scratched the surface today no. with this here. This is just, I've, yeah. I've gotten into this in the past few months, and I got to looking at, and the more you think you know, and you really don't know, and then you think, and and for Ronnie to talk to Ronnie and remember dates and names and honey, I, I remember so much, and I get them. It's like. A bucket full of uh, mixture, you know, it's like a mixture. You get your mind going and you think about all the, the fun things. Like we were at that big long table, I was telling, I'm gonna tell you about. And I remember we were all sitting on that side of the table. It was a bench against the wall. And we were all lined up there and Scott sat right where you're sitting in the area to get away from daddy because whenever you <laughs> spill something or knock something over, he'd go, yeah. Right here in the back right of the back of the head. <laughs> yeah, it's right there. And you come up with it. So Scott would, didn't sit next to him either, and I had to be over there. So then there was, I think it was four school officials knocked at the door, and Mama said, Now, come in. Said, We, you know, we don't have, I'm sorry, we don't have a place for y'all to sit down. And it was from the school authorities. And they said to my daddy and my mother, Mommy was waiting on the table. And he said, Mr. Stoneman, uh, he said, none of your children are scholastic. And Daddy said, yeah, that's a shame. <laughs> that is a shame, I know. And he said, that's a shame. I wish they were, but they're not. And he said, but, and then one of the men with the three-piece suit on standing there, he said, uh, but we have, we did them, a, we gave six of them a test. And the District of Columbia wants to send them to the Juilliard School in New York. And Daddy's sitting there and he says, well, that's a mighty fine school and we're proud you came down. We thank you very much for your time. He said, does any of you youngins want to go? <laughs> I promise he said that. Now, you know how many parents would say, you're going, you know, <laughs> yeah, but he said, any of you youngins want to go? And Scott said, we all looked at Scott. Now, he was the genius, and Jimmy, my brother, 13 months older, me that's another story, 13 months older than me, he, he was a genius. He could, you could hit a piece of wood, and if it was a tongue, <laughs> he could tell you what pitch it was in. And it was just like that at the house, and it was always music, nothing else much. 
and we'd just play our instruments. We didn't have toys or nothing. And so, anyways. So you traveled though as a singer. Gotta tell you, got finished. So Scott pulled back from the chair like this and he flopped up and he said, no, Pop, we're gonna stay here and help you feed us. <laughs> all right, now time marches on. We're playing all these old sculptures. That was my older brother's band called the Stolman Brothers. Then there was my other brothers. They would just, you know, they'd get a buddy to fill in with them every right. now and then because they wanted to learn to play too. So then, then you had the last set with the little pebbles. We grew up a little bit. Pop stoning his little pebbles. Donna said, I was never a little pebble. <laughs> and I said, you were too, I remember. So it was really, we, then years pass. All the time passes on. Then we up in New York doing a Tonight Show. I think Jimmy Dean invited us up because he was filling in for Johnny Carson. So we go up there and he had a big a room, had a break, and there was a big room full of fried chicken and stuff and we were hungry. And my, my sister Donna and I just sat there and looked at it because we didn't want to interfere and he <laughs> went to people on the show. Well, it was funny because next thing you know, my brothers ate all the chicken and they had to send for more chicken. <laughs> and then a limousine came. I didn't know the name of this old stupid looking car. I thought it was dumb looking. Big old long, and daddy said, well, get your instruments. They're gonna take us up somewhere. And I said, but daddy, we, we don't wanna go over there in that old stupid looking car. <laughs> if it had been an old pickup truck, we'd all dove in, you know. But we got in and we went over to this big building and they opened the doors again. It was a wooden floors. And we walked in and we and I heard some music on my right, my left. And I went in there and I said, oh, that's something I never heard before. And they had this man with silver hair doing this with a stick <laughs> to these young people. And they were playing good. They, got, they had it down pat. So I said, I'm gonna stay here and listen to them. So I snuck off and went in there. Then the manager came and grabbed me by the arm. I loved the flute. I, I thought that was the prettiest sound, but I couldn't understand how they got that <laughs> sound. So he came in there and he said, get down there where the family is you got. I said, I don't need to be down there. There ain't nobody down there. He said, you got a tune. And I said, I tune on the stage, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go down there and there was nobody in there but us. And I said, there ain't nobody here, so why should we be here like this? And where is this place? I didn't know where it was at. Next thing you know, the doors open and all these young people, well, they were our age, I guess, it seemed like. And we, that filled up real quick and it was mirrors all around. I went, well, what was that all about? So the next thing you know, I said, when do we start? And Scott said, now. <laughs> and he took off on that fiddle with Orange Blossom. And those people just sat there and they had their mouth open because I was watching them. I went, who are they? <laughs> and I was doing this, like, you know, keeping up with Scott. That was a job. But then I found out it was a Juilliard school. We played for the Juilliard kids. Where y'all didn't go. Well, we wouldn't go. And when we should have went, it would have been really grand to learn to read music, you know, even Dick and Jane, you know, I mean, <laughs> Dick and Jane, it was terrible. But then we went from there to, you know, just picking and grinning everywhere else. Well, you know, in 19, I think it was 69 or somewhere, should have been before, but your 
Pop Stallman was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Yeah, and that was nice. And should the best, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say this, because you know you can't cut your own throat, but I, I'm honest. Well, you, that's all we've done. We just got in um, at the International Bluegrass Association Hall of Fame. Right. Right. We got that, but the, I had just finished writing a song about two weeks prior to that called Just Another Plaque on the Wall. <laughs> you know, you can't make sandwiches with them or peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> They're just there. You don't get paid for it. And I thought, what good are they? You know, that's how I... Right. I mean, how about helping us out with the money? Because half the time our managers took the money all the time, you know, and gave us a salary. And we were just walking around, duh. And then there are a lot of people you think that ought to be there. People get put there before they do. And then it's one thing after the other. But I think that if anybody ever deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. I know, but they didn't put the stomachs. What bothered me about the Hall of Fame plaque? Mama played with Daddy. She did. And she went to New York with him and did a lot of recordings. She's on here, these right, cylinders. Right. And she did a lot of recordings. He was the first country artist ever to record gospel, Daddy was. I found that out by a professor at a school in New York City. Told me, you're Ronnie Stone? Yes, I am. He said, your dad popped Stone, Ernest Stone? Yes, sir, and my mother's had it. And he said, they're the first gospels music ever recorded was from your mom and dad. What amazed me was, I was talking about pop, but you know, to finish that out, Mm -hmm. Your mom and dad was in, uh, my mind's, the word's going blank now, but Gretchen uh, Records. Oh, you mean generic, Janet, Janet, Janet Records. Yeah. Well, that was in Indiana, Daddy recorded. You could record at one time for eight different labels. And Daddy did. And he had to change his name, like Uncle Ben Hawkins was one. <laughs> and you could do that in those days. He just made his rounds and got a lot of money. Then he got with Victor, you see. And they were both in their Hall of Fame, though, weren't they? Up there, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's really nice. They were treated, they treated us like we were stars or something. Yeah. You know? They really treated us nice. And it, it, we stayed in this big building, and then we'd go over and pick a little bit. And they had the real cowboy of the Old West, and he was there singing his cowboy song. The old lady. Hello. That was Jimmy, Jimmy Rogers. Oh. So we did all that, and then we did so much. There's just so, so much, much history there. Show us the poster. All time. right, now this is Daddy. This is the one that had our television show. We were on that. That was the group. This is me and Bay and my brother's Daddy. There's Jimmy, and this is uh, came our uh, my sister, my niece married this young man. He played with us, and Donna. There's Donna, right there. It is. You see it. And, and I just the love pictures. that name, how y'all on the front of that. I just love the it. The Stonings. Syndicated <laughs> television is now available. <laughs> and we had, we went into color. We had the first colors, I remember. And there's Scott. He was in Peshire's Me. And there's Donna and Van. And somebody looked this up. I didn't. There we are. You can see right down here, right there was when we had, was on our show. Some of our backdrops, it looked like a horror movie. <laughs> now, but look at that, uh, Swally to goodness, look at, look at that old tree. Now, who in the cat hair would have put us <laughs> out there in front of that old tree? That was our backdrop for our show. I like the, uh, 
just show the post in front of it. Oh, the, yeah. the singing, swinging, stopping, sensational stomp. S T O N E M A N. And you know, it, the, the, like I said, Ronnie, this, the history is just to me. And I want to step over and grab this thing and let you tell folks what oh, it I is. Oh, I want to put it up. Okay. Can I put it up? Yeah. I love y'all, but we'll be right back. Let me, we'll be right back. And it's up. Okay. Uh, we're going to play the first million seller of country music, of country music singing of the Titanic. Yeah, by Daddy. Or E.B. Stoneman. And now I'm going to show you folks if y'all interested in this kind of stuff. If you're not, just let us know. But right here it says E.B. Stoneman. Can you see it? The, the name? It's The Sinking of the Titanic. It was written, Daddy wrote it in 1914. The Titanic sunk in 1912. I'm going to get out of your way and let you do that. Well, I'm going to try to do this. I can't do it left-handed. And you got to push it in here. I mean, you gotta push it in here, get it in there good. And I'm gonna play a little bit of the Titanic. And this was Thomas Edison. Now what? Okay, folks, that was an amazing uh, Edison player cylinder and hearing the uh, yeah. sinking of the Titanic on a cylinder. Uh, yeah. Where else do you get the chance to do that other than here and with Ronnie Stone? Well, uh, honey, Stone yeah, let me tell you, I like you right away. I really did because, you you know, sometimes you can tell a person from your own soul that they're good and you are a good man. What? And I thank you for allowing me and all the friends and neighbors out there for allowing me to show you. Well, tell the folks real quick that what, we're going to be checking out something shortly, but I want you to tell the folks what you've got coming up that you're doing. Oh, well, thank you, golly. I'm going to, ha I'm going to have my own show with my band, and it's going to be on stream, 
and we're going to have some great pickers. Honey, there's only me and Donna left, but Donna's going to do it with me. I want to do the Stolman family's uh, television show in the background, me and Donna sitting, you know, like Hank Williams Jr. and he talked to it. And his, his dad. dad. That's what I want to do, and I want to do it at a little theater. Duh. And we're we're, we're getting we're gonna help you on that. Well, you really well I most definitely will. I promise okay. you. Yeah, you're the richest little hillbilly in Tennessee. I don't know about Richard, but no, a hillbilly. No, rich, you're you're rich and you're a little hillbilly. So. Uh, but but I'm rich <laughs> but, because I, I get to work with people like Ronnie Stone. Well, honey, I appreciate it. And Faye Cancellor, who's doing the video oh, she's for us. She's my manager. She, she's she's all right. Man, she's all right. She, she's trouble, but she's all right. Well, she's been around the music business a long time. She was, she was strung around it. <laughs> she went everywhere. But uh, we she are was, we are so glad to bring this to you today. And thank you, Faye. Check Ronnie Stoneman out on YouTube and stay yeah, tuned for her TV. It's not YouTube. It's gonna be on stream. Is that YouTube? Well, no. YouTube's got you got a bunch of the Stoneman family stuff on YouTube. I don't give, yeah, but they don't have what I've got. My band. No. My band's a kicker, gang. It really is. But your band, when, when Ronnie's show starts streaming, she will let me know. I will share it and pass it on. And well, honey, thank you. We'll get the word out to everybody. Yes. So y'all stay tuned for that, cause that's you got history right here with this lady, and because I'm old, no. And. <laughs> She's, if I, I'm not going to say how old she no, is, no, but, no. but, I'm eight, I'm 83, but, but if I can stand up when I'm 83. Well, get on your paper. You will. I'll be happy. Just don't think old. You know. um, that's it. If we're not, if we and don't think. get married every now and then. If, no, no, no. If, if we don't think we're old, we're not old. It's all a pigment of your imagination. No, just up in the mornings I go, oh, oh. So, folks, we appreciate y'all checking this out today. Share it with your friends. Let me tell them again. And don't forget, if y'all want to, you tune into my streaming show. Stream. And it's really, really going to be good. I'm going to work real hard to bring you a good product out there. And we're going to have streaming, and we're going to have that other one stand. What do you call it, Faye? Do you remember, Faye, what it's called? What it, what is it called when you stand in front of and show show the family show? Oh, the, the screen, the, back, the, screen, the big yeah. screen projector. The green screen. I've already got the green screen, and we're going to bring that to you. Show you Donna, my sister. She still plays so good. She's 87, but she doesn't look it. And she is really energetic, and um, and she really plays marvelous. We were down in um, Raleigh, North Carolina. We were inducted into the International Bluegrass Hall of Fame. And let me tell you, they put the plaque that anybody else has got everywhere we went. I promise you, gee, they got the best award you ever see. And when we get into that, you know, when they announce it up there in Owensboro, Kentucky, I want you to come. I will do that if you be sure to let me know. If anybody knows how to reach yeah. me, you know how to reach me. Now, I would like for you to come to the family reunion next one we have. That'll blow your hat to creep. 800 <laughs> folks? <laughs> no. No. Some of them were Scotland, England. But, uh, and they were from Scotland and, and Ireland. That's where we're from, you know. And I am honored to be at so. Anything yeah, Ronnie's talking about, we will do. So and tell your wife I love her too. Folks, Let's get that thank you for joining us. <laughs> Bye. Stay tuned. Share it with your friends. Yeah. Be on the lookout for Ronnie Stoneman. Yeah. See you next time. When you're hot, you're hot. When you're not, you can't give it away. Keep that in mind. <laughs>